Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue, and we're coming to you from the campus of Middle Tennessee State University in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Sometimes when a veterinarian castrates a horse, the intestines poke through in what is called evisceration. That can be fatal to the horse if not handled promptly. Dr. John Hafner, an associate professor of horse science and holder of the Miller Chair of Equine Reproduction, conducted an online survey of veterinarians to learn their experiences with this veterinary issue. He presented his findings at the American Association of Equine Practitioners Convention last December in San Francisco. We'll head for the stables after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. MTSU's experiential learning program celebrated the art of instructing students through hands-on work by presenting its top honors to some of its top practitioners. The EXL program issued the Outstanding Faculty Awards at an institute held June 11th in the James E. Walker Library's Learning, Teaching, and Innovative Technologies Center. The gathering combined a celebration of past accomplishments with discussion sessions on best practices for improving experiential learning in the future. Some 50 attendees participated in the Institute. Outstanding faculty awards were presented to Diane Edmondson, an associate professor of marketing, Lori Kissinger, an instructor of communication studies, and Todd O'Neill, an assistant professor of media arts. Two other outstanding faculty award winners could not accept their certificates in person, Laura Buckner, an instructor of marketing, and Jane Lim, an associate professor of elementary and special education. And the U.S. Air Force's Air Combat Command F-16 Viper Demonstration Team hosted MTSU students, faculty, and staff for the final practice June 7th before the Great Tennessee Air Show this weekend at Smyrna Airport. Based at Shaw Air Force Base, South Carolina, the Viper demo team performs precision aerial maneuvers to demonstrate the unique capabilities of one of the Air Force's premier multi-role fighters, the F-16 Fighting Falcon. Air Force Major Garrett Schmitz, commander of the 15-member Viper demo team, led the visit from the MTSU contingent, which included President Sidney McPhee and Provost Mark Burns. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. Doc, thank you for being with us. We appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. What are some of the reasons a horse owner might want to have his horse castrated in the first place? Well, a horse that's uh, not castrated is called a stallion. And, of course, when they get to be older, they become aggressive and uh, can be dangerous. And so if we castrate them when they're young, before they uh, reach puberty and have the surge of testosterone, then they will generally be better behaved and safer to be around. And that's really the main reason that uh, most people want to get castrated. Uh, the other reason is there's uh, uh, not enough good geldings and too many sorry stallions. Mm -hmm. So we want to just try to save the very best horses uh, to use for breeding and leave them as stallions and all the rest of them that even if they are pretty good uh, we want to pass on the best genes and so we castrate the others but mostly it's for safety. But if you have a racehorse for example you don't want that animal castrated at least not for a while because you want him to sire other horses. That's true and uh, that causes a lot of horses to have a uh, less productive uh, 
uh, career as a, a racehorse uh, because most of them are not going to make good stallions anyway. Yeah. And so they have to deal with the young stallions just because of that, because uh, uh, a Kentucky Derby winner could be worth millions of dollars and bring in lots of money. But that's just one horse every year mm-hmm. out of 30,000. So the odds are really against your horse being the next great sire. So the notion that the, the son of such and such a horse is going to be another great racehorse is really just a crapshoot. It's a roll of the dice. It, if anybody could predict it accurately, they'd be a gazillionaire. Mm-hmm. You know? And so it is. There is a lot of uh, variation. And, of course, uh, when you breed, you breed the best horse to the best mare, and you hope for the best. Mm-hmm. But uh, like so many other things, most of the time, you don't get the very best. It just happens. They say it's like trying to catch lightning in a bottle, and it's just difficult to do. So when you say the horse that is not castrated might be aggressive and dangerous, you mean to humans, to other horses, or just in general? In, in general, to both. Um, now, there are some stallions that are just as well-behaved and well-mannered, uh, and they're not dangerous, but there's a significant number, uh, especially if they're around a mare that's in season, and she's showing signs of uh, being ready to breed, then that stallion is going to get stimulated and and aggressive. And if that happens in the show, then that would be dangerous. Uh, If it just happens in a pasture, you know, and a mare over the fence, that could be dangerous. So most uh, male horses uh, do better as geldings. They have a a better life. They don't have to be kept up in the stall. They don't have to be kept separated from other horses. They can be turned out with other geldings. They can be turned out with other mares. And so it's just better all around to have the horse castrated. I have seen Tennessee walking horses at the celebration in Shelbyville try to jump the fence and scare the heck out of the crowd. So uh, I don't know what caused them to do that, but it's possible they, uh, they might have not been castrated yet. That's I've seen that too, and that's probably not so much that is they've got a lot of other stresses mm-hmm. uh, that cause them to want to get out of the ring. And that's a whole other show. That's we a whole different show. <laughs> <laughs> How many veterinarians did you survey about horse castration, and what questions were asked? Oh, I think there was about 140. Uh, I, I put it on a couple of uh, veterinary. Uh, uh, like chat sites, mm-hmm. and there's several thousand veterinarians on those, and about 140 responded. Uh, and I asked them. Uh, I tried to keep it keep it simple so that it wouldn't be a really long involved in trying to get a better response rate. So we asked them the breeds of the horses they castrated, uh, how many horses they castrated, um, how many eviscerated. Uh, and what, what technique they used, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's the uh, crushing of the cord or the twisting of the cord to prevent bleeding. Right. And those were the main things that I w- was looking at. If a horse does eviscerate, how do you save him? Well, it, if you get there soon enough uh, and he's not uh, contaminated anything uh, severely, then it can be repaired uh, they have to have they have to be put back down in surgery and basically the intestines washed off and put back in and then the uh, site has to be closed most castrations are done what we call open so that the there's no sutures they it's left a big wound that can drain mm-hmm. and that typically works out very well uh, prevents swelling and infection if you've got a big open space like that that can drain as opposed to closing it up. Because most castrations are done out in the field or in a barn. They're not done in a surgical suite. 
So evisceration need not necessarily be fatal if you act quickly. It need not, but you have to be there right when it happens. It, it can't be like you're in a barn and then four hours away from somewhere. It has to happen. It has to happen pretty quickly. Yeah, as yeah. the veterinarian is on the scene. Yeah, generally speaking, yeah. We'll take a break here. We'll be okay. right back. This is MTSU on the record. Tennessee's farm families contribute to our state's economy, nutrition, and culture. The Tennessee Century Farms Program at MTSU's Center for Historic Preservation acknowledges farms that have been in the same family at least 100 years. To date, the program has certified more than 1,500 farms. There's no cost to nominate a farm or be part of the program. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The American Democracy Project is a nonprofit initiative which strives for greater voter registration and civic participation among young people at MTSU and at campuses nationwide. Through encouragement from professors and peers, young adults are shown the value of being more active citizens in their community, their state, and their nation. ADP seeks to nurture programs that raise the campus community's level of engagement with society. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. We're talking about horse castration with Dr. John Hafner, who is an associate professor of horse science, holder of the Miller Chair of Equine Reproduction, and, of course, a veterinarian. Uh, he conducted a survey with a couple of colleagues about horse castration and how various veterinarians handle it. Was that about the sample size you were hoping for, 140 or so responses? Because, of course, not all veterinarians deal with horses. Some restrict themselves to small animals like dogs and cats. Well, I, I didn't really know how much of a response I'd get, uh, and these were two horse veterinary uh, sites. That specifically, I, specifically, equine veterinarians. Yeah, the uh, American Association of Equine Practitioners website, and then the Equine Clinicians Network. Mm -hmm. Those were the veterinarians, and, and there's some overlap, but a lot of veterinarians are on both of them. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know how many I would get. I was just hoping for as many as possible, and I've forgotten there was thousands of horses rep, uh, of castrations represented mm -hmm. in the uh, survey. What are the pros and cons of the various castration methods you mentioned? Uh, well, the uh, routinely and traditionally most uh, horse castrations have been done what we call emasculation. Mm -hmm. okay? And that is where we take an instrument and crush and cut the spermatic cord to prevent bleeding. Mm -hmm. uh, an emasculator has two crushing blades and one cutting blade. And so we get a lot of uh, crush, and that's just to stop the bleeding. Uh, a few years ago, well, it's been several years ago, there was a, a, a new castration technique called the Henderson, and it uses a, um, looks like a pair of pliers that clamps onto the cord, and then you put that into a drill and slowly start twisting it, and it twisted and twist for about 40 or 50 revolutions and that twist is so tight it finally breaks off and it just doesn't bleed. They advertise it as a bloodless castration. Mm -hmm. And pretty close to that is what it is. Uh, it's very efficient? Oh, it's very efficient. Uh, it started out with bulls and then they made modified one for horses. I bought one, really liked it, and I've never used the emasculation since. Uh, but I go to Mongolia most years uh, to uh, do some teaching and some training for uh, Mongolian veterinarians. And the uh, Henderson tool is a very good tool, it's well made, but it costs a little over $200. And in the that's just not economical for the people in Mongolia. So I was trying to come up with a way to do it uh, uh, much more cheaply. So 
I tried several designs, made one that looked kind of like a, a, an arrow, like a bow and arrow, and it would fit into a drill, and it worked pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I took it to one of the AAP meetings, and the people that uh, do what they call equitarian work really liked it, and they've used it quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I got thinking, well, if I can, that required welding, and I don't weld very well. Yeah. So I was trying to come up with another method of doing it to make the instrument. And I took some wire and I bent it in about a dozen different ways and couldn't come up with anything I liked. And I was in the shop with my son one day and I explained to him what I wanted. And he thought of it for about three seconds and said, here, if you bend it like this, it'll work. Uh huh. And I thought, well, yeah, I believe it will. <laughs> and so that's the uh, uh, design that I've used ever since. Okay, can you hold it up again yeah. for benefit of our video audience? Yeah. And for the benefit of our radio audience uh-huh. who can't see it, could you please describe what it looks like? Well, it's a quarter-inch round stainless steel rod that has been bent at the end and then bent back onto itself uh, that looks kind of like a hook. Creates sort of a U-shape. It creates a U-shape. Well, actually a double U-shape. And so I can uh, put the cord into that and it can't get loose. And then I can just spin it slowly and twist Mm -hmm. it off. It's actually a video of its own YouTube and on my website here at school Mm -hmm. that shows how this thing works. Uh, And so... That's the uh, the design that I settled on, and I like it better than the Henderson because it's lighter and easier to use and cheaper. Uh, so I took it and was showing it to some of my friends at one of the AAP meetings, and I asked uh, a friend that uh, about it, and he said, well, I don't like them at all. I don't like the Henderson because they're more prone to eviscerate, and that was the first I'd heard of that. And so that's what prompted this whole thing was a conversation with uh, Dr. Davis, who was my yeah. co-author. I said, I've never heard that's a problem. And so that's what uh, I came up with the uh, uh, survey for to see had was that the experience of other people or not. And did the veterinarians say they found the Henderson more likely to cause evisceration? Some do and some don't. Uh, it's, it's, evisceration is so rare of a complication, 0.2% of the, all the castrations eviscerated. Most of those are done by emasculation because that's what most people still use. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, when, when we looked at overall, the horses were more likely to eviscerate if they were laying down than if they were standing. Mm-hmm. If they were um, a standard bred, a breed, uh, saddle bred, or some other breeds were more likely to eviscerate. Or if we used the twisting as opposed to the uh, to the crushing, but when I looked at it, if you were to castrate a thousand horses, you'd expect maybe one and a half or so with emasculation, and maybe two and a half or three with the eviscera- with the twisting. Mm-hmm. So although the rates double, we're still talking about real low rates. Right. And of course, this was a a, a survey that asked the people how many castrations have you done in the last ten years. And so it relied on their memory instead of a written record. What I'd really like to do is have starts people keeping up with it going forward for a few years mm-hmm. and so that we could have a little more accurate records to make sure that like we could uh, correlate breed, position, and technique as opposed to trying to do it with a little less uh, data. Uh, and so that's what I'd like to do. But the... Uh, Likelihood of one eviscerating is really small, no matter how you do it. 
Yeah. yeah. Not likely to eviscerate, but if it does, you could lose your horse. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you could. And so that's what scares the horse owner. Yeah. Yeah. But also, the the horse could bleed to death, too. Yeah. You know, that that's a complication that can, could could occur. Uh, the horse could just die of the anesthesia. Really rare. Mm-hmm. But it can. Anytime you undergo anesthesia, nothing is without risk. Right. And this is just another one of them. And what about the anesthesia? Uh, you can apply anesthesia and the horse can still stand up throughout the procedure? There, there's two different ways. People can either do it standing and it's just really heavy sedation and then local anesthetics, lidocaine, mm-hmm. that will be injected into the cord so that when it's emasculated, they can't feel it. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and that's real safe. And a lot of people, uh, well, about 20% of the horses were castrated by standing. And, and uh, that's done... Uh, it's, it's personal preference, and I think more of it is in older veterinarians, my age and older, because that's when I first got out of school, the anesthesia for laying a horse down was just really being developed where it was really good and safe. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of uh, practitioners like to do them standing just because of that. Others, like if they were on the uh, track, they could do several horses at a time. When you finish with one castration of a standing horse, you're through. When you finish with a horse that's laying down, you need to wait till they wake up. Mm-hmm. And so it makes it a little bit longer procedure. And if you've got a lot to do, there's an advantage to doing them standing. Have you done all three castration types of procedures you talk about yourself? Yeah, most of my castrations have been done in the laying down position. And for years, I just used the masculators. I've not used them since I came... Uh, found the Henderson and I hadn't used the Henderson since I found this one. And so that's the way I like it best, but it's a personal preference. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and of course, with the results from our uh, survey, you can say, well, it might be a little bit safer to use the masculator. I, I'm, that's what the data shows, but if we were to do a, a, a forward-looking uh, re- uh, study, that might hold up and it might not. Mm-hmm. We'll take another break here. We'll return in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. The Concrete Industry Management Program at MTSU fills the need for trained personnel who know concrete technology and techniques. Our alumni go into the marketplace grounded in basic math and science and able to promote products or services related to the industry. Our participation in the academic common market ensures talented students in other states a chance to enroll on an in-state tuition basis. This is Dr. Heather Brown, director of the program. To find out more information on this or other university programs, visit mtsunews.com. The Tennessee Civil War National Heritage Area is managed by MTSU Center for Historic Preservation. A partnership unit of the National Park Service, the Heritage Area tells the whole story of America's greatest challenge, offering assistance with Civil War and Reconstruction Era programs. Our projects include historic driving tours, museum exhibits, and nominations to the National Register of Historic Places. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Dr. John Hafner is our guest. He holds the Miller Chair of Equine Reproduction. He's an associate professor of horse science and, of course, a veterinarian who is discussing uh, the findings of a survey he conducted on horse castration. About how long does each type of castration procedure take? Not very long. Uh... A standing castration, uh, from start to finish, mm-hmm. for a laying down castration, uh, from sedating the horse 
till him waking up is probably 30 to 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. Standing castration, uh, it's just a guess because it's been so long since I've done one, probably 15 or 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, by the time you get them cleaned up and everything, it mm-hmm. takes about that long. It's not very long. What do you do with the uh, uh, organs and uh, the blood and everything else? Well, generally, there's not a lot of blood. Uh-huh. Okay, it's just like on the uh, sponge, golf sponges, and we just throw those away. Uh, as far as what we do with the testicle, it depends on where you are. Usually, mm-hmm. they get thrown away. Uh, you, sometimes the dog gets them. Sometimes I've had the owner uh, run the dog off so they could have them. <laughs> It's not exactly mountain oysters, but it's the closest thing you can come to in horse world. What, do they put them on their mantle or what? No, they cook them. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Just like prairie oysters, huh? Yeah, yeah. We Around here we call them mountain oysters. Mountain oysters. Yeah. Okay. So. About how long does it take the horse to recover? As far as from the anesthesia, uh, an hour or two, and they're pretty well recovered from that. Uh, then from the surgery, you're looking at two, three weeks uh, for it to heal up. If all goes well, they all usually swell the most on about the third day, uh, and we like to exercise them. And that's another thing is there's a lot of different recommendations depending on the veterinarian. Some people have a really uh, rigid routine. They want the horse to go through each day and different things. Other people just want to put them back in work right away. Someone will give them a few days off. I've, in my experience, if we let the horse continue to work, uh, they swell less and they seem to do well. So it's important for the horse to walk some, even if he's sore. Oh yes, it's very. If he doesn't walk some, he'll swell up really a lot. Mm. Uh, The exercise helps keep the swelling down. Does uh, he resist uh, trying to walk? Generally not. No. They they are. It's the horses tend to do very well with it. It's it's not uh, uh, as traumatic as it looks and sounds Mm. to the horse. Has there not been much prior research into this aspect of horse science? I'm not well, sure I mean, mean. In the academic literature, I mean, about horse castration and oh, the various yeah, there, effects there, it can have. Yeah, there's there's lots of information about that. Uh, what what I was really interested in, the difference between the twisting and the masculation, mm-hmm. and that's what prompted that. But, yeah, there's been studies of uh, the complications after surgery for castration and different techniques. There, There's lots of information about that. This is just one more bit. Mm-hmm. Are you going to uh, patent that little device? Oh, no. (laughs) Uh, The world is welcome to it. (laughs) Are any other veterinarians using it besides you? Yeah, there's a few. The, the, uh, like I say, the Equitarians is the uh, uh, group with the AAEP, the Equine Practitioners Association, that goes around the world doing uh, uh, veterinary work. And they have really uh, enjoyed using this. I made, I made one that you can crank by hand, so if you don't have a drill. And then uh, the Christian Veterinary Mission, I sent like 12 to Haiti, and, and they really like them down there. Uh, I've sent some to Mongolia, and they like them there. Uh, it, it's uh, a real simple technique, and it's cheap, and it works uh, it works everywhere. Do you make your other veterinary instruments, or was this just a case of necessity being the mother of invention? That's what it was. Totally. Pretty much, yeah. I, I was just trying to find something that would work that would be affordable uh, in a developing uh, world situation, mm-hmm. and and that's really what got me started was mm-hmm. my going back and forth to Mongolia. 
in light of the information you obtained from this little survey, do you have any advice in particular for veterinarians and horse owners regarding castration? Well, I think most veterinarians don't need advice from me about how to castrate yeah. a horse. <laughs> that would be, you know, that. Uh, and and the, the, the thing about the castration is all the techniques work, and all of them work pretty well, okay? And so I like this one, but other people like the way they do it, and at the end of the day, we have another gelding. Mm-hmm. And that's really what uh, what's important. It would be, uh, I think, a little presumptuous for me to try to tell all the veterinarians, you need to do it this way. This is just another way, and there's advantages and disadvantages to all the different ways. Do you think most horse owners are savvy about these techniques and how they work and what's best for their horse and what isn't? Uh, some are and some aren't. You know, when you talk about horse owners, you have a wide range of people who are involved with horses. You have some who just look over the fence and think they're a really nice, pretty animal. And you have others that basically live with them. And they do know and have uh, their own opinions. Uh, that's one thing. The horse world is not short on opinions. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so everybody knows what they like best. And the nice thing about with castration, we have a lot of different ways that work, mm-hmm. and this is just one of them. In your own personal experience with mm-hmm. horse castration, have you ever had an evisceration? No, I have not. And uh, knock on wood. Well, if I was superstitious, I would knock on wood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but no, I, I, I never have, uh, and so I've been very blessed to have mm-hmm. avoided that. Do you think that uh, the procedures will change and evolve as technology evolves? Everything's becoming digital anymore. Well, I don't know how to do a digital castration. I don't know how to do it either. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Do you think that technology will improve the process? Oh, it's always, uh, I think, always improving. And just as as we develop uh, more information and more knowledge, you know, there may be an easier way to do this than what I've come up with. Uh, I I don't see how, but it could Mm be. Uh, If people want to read the results of your survey, uh, what do they need to do? Well, it's published in the uh, Proceedings of the American Association of Equine Practitioners annual meeting from 2018. It was a San Francisco meeting, and that's, that's where it's been published. And probably if you Google it, you can find it. And if you'd like to send the good doctor an email, it's john.hafner, H-A-F-F-N-E-R, at mtsu.edu. Thank you, Doc. We appreciate it. Thank you. We'll be right back. Expanding Your Horizons is an annual hands-on science and math conference at MTSU for middle and high school girls. EYH enables girls to investigate careers in science and math and to talk with female leaders in those fields that are so essential to our nation's future. EYH also provides the girls with fun, hands-on activities and allows them to meet girls with similar interests. I'm Dr. Judith Iriarte-Gross, EYH Director. For more information, visit mtsunews.com. The Experiential Learning Scholars Program at MTSU gives students a chance to go outside the classroom and obtain hands-on experience in their chosen fields of study. They'll have the opportunity to give something back to the community through service learning as they gain acceptance for graduate study. Students should be able to select EXL-designated courses from major requirements and general studies requirements to complete the 16 to 18 hours of EXL coursework. For all of the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. 
Randy Weiler has the middle moment. Math and Science Education graduate researcher Angela Google and Tennessee STEM Education Center director Greg Rushton represented MTSU during the Sandra K. Abel Institute that brought internationally recognized faculty mentors and students together for extensive collaboration. MTSU hosted the five-day event. Biology educator Grant Gardner provides details. Uh, the Institute brings together uh, established faculty from around the country with uh, doctoral students um, who show high potential. Uh, we've got 24 on campus uh, and they are experiencing targeted uh, small group work with these faculty to develop their dissertation ideas. They are writing a lot and they are really learning and pushing their ideas to become the, the next generation of high-end scholars in this field. That's MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the Record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University, is produced by the university's Marketing and Communications Office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.